mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, after years of talk, the Hancock County Commissioners recently broke ground on a new Judicial Center building. Commissioner Tim Bechtel will give us a closer look at how it will modernize county operations. Also this morning, YMCA Child Development District Director Carrie Redman talks about plans for expanding their programming through partnerships with area schools. In our community and business spotlight, the United Way of Hancock County has some upcoming volunteer opportunities for business groups and families alike. And to your health this morning, exciting results from a new clinical trial point to a more effective treatment that can substantially reduce the risk of recurrence for certain types of breast cancer. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, July 12, 2023. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. How'd you sleep last night? Waking up to a new day, maybe you're a little groggy. I tossed and turned last night. I did not get a uh, good night's sleep. And uh, apparently, I'm not alone. A new survey of 2,000 adults finds that the average woman sleeps eight hours per night, which is an hour more than the average man. Isn't that interesting? 60% of couples say a sleep imbalance has caused relationship tensions. 10% of couples surveyed even sleep in different rooms because one is tossing and turning and the other is not. Uh, But for their partners tossing and turning, they would be just fine. That's relationship tensions there. Uh, Summer heat tends to make the problem worse. 64% of men, 62% of women struggle to get a good night's sleep when the temperature is warmer. Um, But I thought it was uh, interesting that uh, uh, women, on average, uh, get an hour more sleep a night than than men. It does say, if you're looking uh, to improve the quality of your sleep, maybe... Getting jiggy with it right before bed will help. Um, Intimacy, uh, it says in the survey, helps couples fall asleep. 76% of women and 82% of men uh, report uh, better sleep uh, after a romp between the sheets, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I've always found that that works. For me, anyway. You know, it's guys. (laughs) Out. But anyway, uh, let's see. What else is going on? (laughs) Among the first things you need to know this morning, have your kids gotten into the I'm boards yet of the summer? You know, you get into middle, late July and into August and you start hearing the kids, they've done all of the things that they wanted to do in the summertime and they're getting a little bored with not having anything to do. Are they... To the point yet where they're ready to go back to school. It appears teachers are two-thirds of teachers say they miss their classrooms in the summer months. Um, This is a uh, a survey that was interestingly commissioned by the uh, Home Depot. Um, Teachers estimate that they will spend uh, $320 of their own money to get their classrooms ready for the new School year, 58% of parents with young kids are looking forward to the 2023-24 school year. 58% of parents are now looking forward to the school year. Um, And they 
uh, parents uh, say they will spend an average of $225 on school supplies. So teachers are actually spending on average $100 more than parents are uh, to get their uh, classrooms uh, ready. According to uh, Kevin Moffat of the Home Depot, commissioned the study, while it seems like summer break has just started, the reality is that parents and teachers are already looking forward to and planning for the next school year. So your uh, kids are uh, ready to go back to class right about now. Uh, They are not alone. Teachers are too. You know, the other thing uh, about summer, one of the other uh, things about summer, is that it is a difficult time for blood donations. The uh, Red Cross always struggles this time of year to get enough people to donate because we have other things going on uh, in the summertime. Vacations and that kind of thing generally tend to keep people away from donation centers. The Red Cross has collected 50,000 fewer blood donations than needed over the last two months. So they're always trying interesting promotions in order to boost donations in the summertime. They'll give away you know, tickets to baseball games, uh, tickets to amusement parks, uh, all kinds of perks. They'll try and you know, drum up more donors. Uh, now, to increase donations, the Red Cross is working uh, with the Discovery Channel... Because Shark Week is coming up, and it is the 35th anniversary of Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. So beginning today, I guess it is, um, donors will be entered to win a three-night New York trip for two with a private shark dive adventure at Long Island Aquarium. So you could uh, get your uh, your chance to win. Uh, this will start July 17th. Uh, let's see here. So you can, uh, donors will be entered for a chance to win starting today and then beginning, uh, July 17th, donors will also get a Shark Week t-shirt, an official Shark Week t-shirt for all blood donors. You can make an appointment at redcrossblood.org. So. And uh, I think that's rather interesting, uh, giving people the chance to dive with the char- with the sharks. Because if uh, things don't go well, you'll need a blood donation. So you end up being a blood uh, donor recipient, uh, if you know what I mean. So that's or a blood donor in a whole different way. Um, did you hear about this story? Crazy story out of Washington State, where a uh, man whose not name is not given in this particular report. I'm sure he has a name, but I don't know what it is. Washington State man, it says he's lucky to be alive after passing out while skydiving earlier this week. <laughs> now that's now that's a, a pretty could be a pretty bad thing. He uh, jumped out of a perfect. I don't understand why people would jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but. Uh, In any event, he did. The state patrol says he jumped from the plane and then promptly lost consciousness. Fortunately, his emergency parachute opened automatically. He ended up landing in a tree, had to be airlifted to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. But he appears to be okay. He's going to be fine. But I don't know that he'll uh, jump out of any more airplanes. Isn't that crazy? That would be my worst nightmare. Uh, jumping out of a of a plane, go skydiving, and something happens, you pass out, chute doesn't open, or something like. Fortunately, his emergency chute opened, and he was uh, he's going to be fine. But 
won't do that again. Check that off the bucket list and never do that again. And uh, finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Do you remember the movie Back to the Future 2? Came out in 1989, so maybe you remember it. Maybe you have uh, seen it on uh, TV or something. There was a scene where Doc Brown tells Marty McFly that while visiting the future, he swung by a rejuvenation clinic and added a good 30 to 40 years of my life. You remember that scene? I vaguely, it's been a long time since I've seen the Back to the Future films, but, um, but I vaguely remember that uh, Doc telling Marty uh, that this, this rejuvenation clinic he added 30 to 40 years Added a good 30 to 40 years of my life. Um, By the way, at the time, he was visiting the future of the year 2015, which is now almost 10 years in the past. But here we are in 2023. Believe it or not, such a thing does exist, sort of. The Wall Street Journal is reporting on so-called longevity clinics, which promise to turn back the hands of time, and add years to your life. It ain't cheap, though. Uh, it costs as much as $100,000 per treatment. It says through the use of stem cell treatments, weight loss therapies, and numerous other procedures, the clientele of the clinics insist whatever they are charged is worth it. That said, many of these clinics, and there are as many as 800 of them in the United States, are not regulated. Dr. Andrea Meyer, who is seeking to codify medical standards around longevity medicine, tells the journal, it is not a regulated market. Anybody who is treating your toenails can say they are contributing to your longevity. Uh, Now, Dr. Meyer runs a longevity clinic in Singapore that offers therapies backed by human trials. Still, uh, the journal reports the clientele so willing to beat Father Time that they are willing to roll the dice outside of the medical mainstream, and the clientele is getting younger. Some patients uh, are actually in their 20s and looking to rejuvenate and uh, add years to their life in their 20s. They're already saying, about this. So, kind of interesting. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. A chance of a few showers and storms today with high in the mid-80s. A chance of a storm tonight, a low in the upper 60s. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office says a woman was life-flighted from the scene of a motorcycle crash north of Van Lu. The Sheriff's Office said the 37-year-old from Finley was westbound on State Route 568 on a Harley-Davidson when she went off the right side of the roadway and into a ditch, causing the bike to crash and ejecting the woman from the motorcycle. The woman was life-flighted to a hospital in Toledo. Get more on the website. Hancock County officials are asking people to fill out the Hancock County Child Care Survey so they can better quantify and understand gaps in current child care opportunities. Brian Treese is president and CEO of the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation. Surveys have been created to gather information from parents, caregivers, and employers. This information will be used by the partners to identify the strategies to address child care needs in Hancock County. Two surveys are being offered, one for the general public and one for HR professionals and business leadership. We have a link to both with this story on our website. 
The state's new two-year budget has some new policies dealing with nursing homes. Ohio will increase its oversight of nursing homes using money as an incentive to do good work. There will be harsher punishments for those who fail to care for their residents. And those who exceed care expectations will be eligible for more funding. Ohio will also build a website with detailed information on every nursing home in the state so people can compare their options. I'm Stephanie Haney. The Finley First Edition annual garage sale fundraiser is coming up. It has quickly become, in the last several years, our biggest fundraiser of the year. FFE Director Kevin Manley says proceeds from the fundraiser go towards things like competition fees and the purchasing of costumes needed throughout the season. It's an extensive budget that we've had, and it seems to grow a little bit every year, which is exciting. But then we have to be able to generate the funds to make all of that happen. So the garage sale is a huge piece of the puzzle. The garage sale gets underway on Thursday with the early bird sale, in which people can pay 10 bucks to be among the first to check out the items for sale. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning. After years of talk, right before the holiday, the 4th of July holiday, the Hancock County Commissioners... Finally broke ground, excuse me, finally broke ground on a new judicial center building. And Commissioner Tim Bechtel is with us this morning. Tim, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Good morning. Uh, This has been a long time in coming and has taken over the years a number of different uh, forms. A lot of different uh, plans, a lot of different uh, suggestions, thoughts, ideas uh, on how to make this happen. How did... You ultimately land on this plan uh, as the the one that you broke in ground for here. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, we're at a, a point where we're using a design build firm now, so that really helped us out in the planning process to uh, help with the uh, um, budgeting purposes. Most of most of all, because we had the contractor involved from the very beginning mm-hmm. in the process. Yeah. So uh, the current plan is a three story building. Uh, 47,000 square feet and some change there. Uh, And it's got a a $20.8 million uh, budget for construction. And uh, we have now, like you said, officially turned the site over to the contractors. They are uh, in the mobilization stage, getting all their subcontractors there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we look to be uh, ready to uh, move in by November of 2024. So, uh, yeah, if, Anybody has been downtown, you've seen the uh, the fence, it's all uh, areas fenced off and, and, and so on. And so this is going to be quite the, uh, quite the building. What all will ultimately be, I know, obviously, probate juvenile court, records, uh, commissioners be housed there? Uh, no, it? we'll still okay. stay in our uh, offices down by Scramblers um, okay. on 514 South Main. Uh, in this building, uh, yes, the probate and juvenile court will be on the top floor, the third floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to them uh, will be uh, an enhanced CASA office, the court-appointed special advocates, which work hand-in-hand with the juvenile court. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the second floor, we'll have the domestic relations court, which will be pulling out of the first floor of the historic courthouse. And also the juvenile uh, probation offices will be on the second floor. And then on the first floor will be adult probation, and they will essentially, once they get through the security entrance, will be going a separate direction than the rest of the crowd going upstairs. So how did I, those, uh, obviously the greatest needs, um, 
how did you make the determination that uh, that it would be that you would stop there? I mean, why not bring everything into that building? Maybe even make it bigger, four story or something along those lines. Oh yeah, we could have gone ten stories, but right. it, it, right. at some point it gets um, beyond the scope of or the context of the architecture of the rest of the buildings downtown. Um, uh, we felt comfortable with the budget uh, for a three story building. Originally, um, a, a few years ago, when we were looking at this site uh, previously, it was just a two-story building. It was much um, a bigger footprint, actually. So we've we've made the footprint a little smaller and gone, gone three up. stories, yeah. and, and and that also helps us preserve some parking in the back because we mm-hmm. are essentially losing about an eighty-eight, um, uh, yeah, uh, parking space, um, a parking yeah. lot. There. Yeah. Uh, the reason I ask uh, about uh, what operations will be there, part of the reason that I ask is, uh, you know, future plans. I mean, how long? What is the projection of how long you will be able to house all of these things in this uh, area? Because you know, I, I look at, for example, the uh, the justice center, the, the the jail when it was built. Uh, you know, now here, what forty years later, we're looking at, you know, do we have enough room in the jail, and do we have to do something? So, what kind of a a lifespan uh, are you looking at with a building with this building? There is growth built into this building. So, when we move into this building uh, here next year, into next year. There will be empty office space. There will be an empty courtroom. Uh, we've uh, um, planned for an additional um, magistrate's um, hearing room um, on the third floor uh, for future use. Um, adult probation has uh, growth space on the first floor. Juvenile probation has growth space on the second floor. So we've, we've taken that um, opportunity to build space into this building for future growth. How far it goes into the future is really determined on how the criminal justice system works mm-hmm. in, in the future. We're trying to make our best estimates. And how the community grows and, yes, and so uh-huh. on. So uh, a lot of that. But I'm, I, that was kind of my thought. I mean, obviously, as, as most folks know, your background is in architecture. So I'm sure building for you know, some future expansion was probably one of the key uh, aspects of this. Oh, yeah. And this building is is positioned on the site that there would be an opportunity to build onto the back side of it. But again, as we build onto this building, we lose parking. Yeah. So we're trying to have that balance, that delicate balance of trying to retain as much parking as possible. And and just to be clear, this building will not be physically connected to any of the existing buildings around it, correct? Correct. It'll stand alone between what is now the current probate juvenile court and mm-hmm. that old church and the post office. What happens to that uh, that historic building where the probate and juvenile court is now? And that's a really good um, next project for us to uh, look at. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the the courts that are in there now, it also houses our maintenance department for the county offices. Um, so uh, we have an opportunity once we move adult probation out of the uh, building at five fourteen South Main to reclaim some of that space for records and also maintenance there. Mm-hmm. And the historic building that we're talking about, uh, that's uh, the old church, the most historic part of it is the center part with the green roof on it. Uh, there's been an array of additions that have been put on over the years, over yeah. the last 150 years, that are, are frankly the worst part of that building. So if we can get rid of those additions, the center part has some has some uh, staying power and some... Uh, uh, 
longevity i think left into it mm-hmm. we'll see once we get that uh, torn out but i'd like to tear out all the additions first but that would uh, that would remain county owned yes. or you looking at so you're not looking at selling that off no uh, we would want to keep that and at one time we found a historic photo there was actually a service station in that parking lot on the north side of it uh, can you believe uh, probably not doing that again no no no, no. <laughs> but um the operational efficiencies talk about you know what this building brings in terms of not just the space that is needed but the but modernizing the operations and and making those more efficient well the um the the primary space of the um, juvenile probate courtroom on the third floor will be more uh, elbow room for mm-hmm. lack of a better term for anything else yeah they have a lot of different representations especially when you have child on um, um, children involved in cases there might be um several different tables there uh for those representations this courtroom now will be sized and um, arranged so we can uh, fit all that together without everybody being right on top of each other Mm -hmm. in addition all of these uh, this courtroom the other two courtrooms for the mad for the um, probate juvenile court and also the domestic relations court on the second floor have additional meeting room space uh, built in so that um, they're not always fighting for room or spaces yeah. to meet with their lawyers. Yeah. Uh, likewise, when we move them out of the um, when we move um, domestic relations court out of the main courthouse, we're going to recapture some of that space for more meeting room space in the main courthouse. So, so operational efficiencies not just for this building but across uh, yes, all of all of our buildings locations. Yeah. Um, and as folks who have followed this, as we mentioned, this has been a long time in coming. There have been a lot of different plans considered, a lot of different ideas thrown out there. And it has been a longstanding uh, point of contention, sometimes a very acrimonious uh, debate over what to do with specifically the probate and juvenile uh, court. Does this settle all of those issues once and for all? Yes, this, uh, we, we finally come to a plan that can work. Uh, for the, the the greater good of all the uh, county offices that we have incorporated in, into this building. Um, when commissioners have to look at this type of planning, we, we have to look at it from 10,000 feet and, um, yeah. and then get into the weeds as well. But uh, we had a lot of different um, entities that needed better space. When we talk about efficiencies, we also have to talk about how adult probation is now going to be behind a security um, screening, mm-hmm. which is going to be safer for that staff. Yeah, The whole building, the new building, is going to have a good separation from public to staff. There's even two elevators so that we have a, um, a control of the public being able to use all three floors without um, in hindrances and um, the staff then can use the, the back yeah. and also transport of um, prisoners through there too. So, and uh, this will be, the timeline is, when is it going to be completed and operational and everybody moved in by? We're looking for uh, occupancy by November of 2024, and then we'll start moving everybody in after that. All right. So I'm working with uh, the architect right now, actually, uh, today, talking about the furniture package. We'll be (laughs) looking at that uh, to be ready to go once the building's done. And I'm sure uh, everybody involved uh, can't wait. So we will uh, continue to watch as uh, that construction uh, progresses. Again, uh, Hancock County Commissioner Tim Bechtel with us uh, this morning. Tim, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris.
So we're joined in the studio now by uh, Stephanie Parsons and Carrie Redmond, YMCA. Uh, Carrie is the uh, new Child Development District Director. That's quite a title. It is. Uh, talking about uh, plans for expanding their programming through partnerships with area schools. It was uh, recently announced. We were talking about uh, some of these uh, partnerships in the news uh, a couple of weeks ago. Before we get to that, real quickly, a couple of things that are still going on uh, with respect to, to the why, just uh, big picture stuff. Uh, the uh, Grill for Good uh, program continues. So getting uh, so that's going on, and uh, also uh, still have some uh, programming going on at the uh, pool. Uh, you know, the summer. Riverside uh, pool is still open, going strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go all the way through um, a Labor Day. Okay. The, the right. Very good. So uh, again, more details on that all at the uh, the website. So things going on throughout the summer, the uh, YMCA, but gearing up for back to school time, and that's uh, Carrie. What we primarily want to talk about. Uh, this morning, talk about your role as child development district director. What does that mean? Yeah, I'm trying to help Finley and Hancock County uh, meet the needs of our community, which is childcare. Right now, we have a high need in our community to have high quality and safe and beautiful childcare. So that's why I'm here. I'm trying to support our community, and we have lots of really fun programs going on right now. We're meeting the need at Finley City Schools before and after care program. We're calling it. It used to be called Fab. Fab. Fabs. Fabs. Right. And and just so everyone knows, it's now called Yab. Yeah. Because the, the YMCA is <laughs> taking that over. A fun and playful name. Um, and so we're starting that. If families want to register, they just go to our website and there's a, a spot for them to put their email address and I'll respond to them right away yeah. and get them registered. Talk about the uh, process of uh, sort of inheriting that, taking over, taking that over from the, uh, the city schools and how that came about. Will it be the same? What changes? What, you know, how will that differ there- from what people are familiar with? Right. There are some changes. I mean, the main changes are all, I, I think, for the better. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to be a licensed program, um, which makes our quality and our safety of top priority. Um, we are going to have needs for specialized staff, et cetera. So, like, to me, that's a huge gain. Um, why we're there, we're helping meet the need. So, the, the need, FABS is no longer not able to return the following year. Mm-hmm. So, um, Finley City Schools reached out to me and Stephanie and said, can you help us? <laughs> so we said we'd love to. Um, so that's why we're here. And it's a quick turnaround, but we're, we're doing everything we can to help the community. So for those who are not familiar with uh, what used to be the FABS uh, program, now the YABS program, talk about what it will uh, involve. Yeah, it's before and after care. So um, it'll be, they'll have a curriculum, but they'll mainly just enjoy their time, have a snack, um, do activities while they wait for school to start. And their parents will drop them off at the um, the three intermediate schools. They'll choose an intermediate school within Finley City Schools. And then at the end of the day, same idea. And uh, that's one of the other questions. It's being uh, run by the Y, but not at the Y, right? Right. We still have a before and after care program, though, at the Y. So if families still have siblings or they still have their comfort being at the Y, we want them to stay there. That That is still definitely the option for them. So mm-hmm. it's just creating more options for families. 
And uh, this will be at what schools uh, within the Finley City yeah, School Yeah, Bigelow Hill, mm-hmm. um, Wilson Vance, and Chamberlain Hill. And those are the intermediate schools, and they'll all sort of funnel into their primary schools. So if they're part of the K-5 to age group that needs care, they can utilize at one of those locations. And then Finley City Schools will bus them. So what is the uh, process? Sign up, uh, get more information, you know, all of that uh, yeah. stuff. Go to our website, and there's a section that says YAVS, and click Click on it and send me your email, and then I will write you right back. And if you don't, you can call me. So, I mean, there's lots of ways to get registered. And is this open to all, or are there qualification uh, requirements? Uh, is there a cost? You know, all of the yeah. grit- nitty-gritty of that Right. Sort of there's thing. there's no requirement. They have to be a child in Finley City Schools. Um, that seems very, very <laughs> basic. A kindergartner through fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, in terms of cost, there is a cost, but there's lots of options. And we are working on, we know there's a need in our um, community to um, help with that. And we are working on that mm-hmm. um, to help with the cost. There's a program called ACE. We have an open doors program that we're working on. So just to put it out into the community, we're working on some hopeful, some ways to help with the cost. But there's, yeah. Um, and this is not the only partnership that you have with uh, schools throughout the area. You also uh, recently announced a partnership uh, with Corey Rawson Schools. Did, what yeah. does that look like? Um, so that's childcare within their building. That's different. This it's not the same thing that we're talking about here with Yabs. Correct. This will be a full childcare program within their building, within their school building. So, um, and we're hoping for a fall start. More information on that will be coming. Um, as soon as we know more. So we're yeah. waiting now. It's sort of in their court. We're waiting now to see. Yeah, it was kind of interesting uh, when that was announced. Went to the uh, to the website and uh, it just basically says coming soon. So obviously a lot to be fleshed out uh, in that program yet. It takes time. I mean, we want the building to be appropriate because now we're talking about a full child care program. So the mm-hmm. building has to meet all the licensing standards. Then we have to get the staff approved, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a bigger process um, and we want to make sure all... We're fully prepared. So the goal is to have that ready uh, for the fall, which may or may not happen depending on all of the other factors that you were just mentioning. Why Corey Rawson? I mean, this is the the first. Is I, is this something that you're looking to partner with other county schools? Uh, why Corey Rawson? Absolutely. We know that there's a, a need throughout our, our county for mm-hmm. Child Development Center. Yeah. Um, Corey Rawson and Macomb were two of the county schools that have reached out to us. Um, to become partners because there's a major need in their community. So um, it just fit, you know, that's what we're here for. The YMCA is just kind of fill those gaps in our community. And this will be staffed through the YMCA, correct? So this will mean uh, new staff or using existing staff uh, and and that kind of thing? Both, yes, is the answer to that. (laughs) Yes, all of the above. We have um, some existing staff who live in those areas and um, we know that they know our culture and they know our expectations and they've been with us for a long time and have expressed an interest in going. Of course, we'd want them to do that. Um, So we have, it would, it would, we, then we'd also hire. So um, they're smaller in scale in terms of what we are used to at the Child Development Center in Finley. So we won't have many staff go, um, but we will have some and then we'll also be hiring. Which uh, kind of sets the stage for the next question. We're talking about cost uh, involved with that as well. Yes, it'll be similar. It'll be the same. It'll be similar yeah. to what we're doing at the Child Development Center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so and and with that in mind, uh, will these be open to all? Will they be membership required? Uh, the YMCA. I mean, what is the logistics there? Yeah, there's a member rate, and then there's a non-member rate. So, um, okay. but those are both options. You don't have to be a member to be a family member in the child care center. And uh, I, I again, I was going to say, when will uh, this uh, in, all of that those details be available? And I guess that would depend on when you're ready to throw open the doors, as it were. Right, and the more we know, the more we'll start to share. Right now, we're still waiting for, I'm just going to express, like, building situations, supervision of building, building mm-hmm. changes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Renovations. Thank still, you, Stephanie. So, Renovations. Still the word yes. that you were looking for Thank there. You, I yes. know that feeling, not yes. being able to have that, that, <laughs> find the exact word that is on yeah. the tip of your tongue. Um, so, again, if folks are, are interested in learning more about the YABS program, those details are available now, and that's ready to ready to launch. Sign up. We'd love to have you. Yeah. And is there a deadline to register for that? I'm or? so glad you asked that question. No. I mean, we will keep it open as long as there's space is available. However, if they want busing uh, to start, which especially if they're not in they're one of the primary schools and not yeah. in the intermediate school, they'll need the busing. Um we would like August 1st. So get it in. Okay. Get your rep- registration in right now. Please, Again, yes. you know, people starting to think back to school uh, already. It seems very early, but these are the sort of things that you got to get uh, on the on the plate right now. And then uh, as for the other uh, partnerships, uh, again, first one with Corey Rawson, but more may be coming soon. It just Absolutely. as you as the information is available then. Yeah, we ha- we're working with uh, Macomb currently. Um, more to come on that. Uh, and then we have our own capital uh, project that we're developing in, and hopefully we'll have more information coming shortly with that too. So a lot lots of, of exciting things coming in, for the YMCA. Uh, especially under the umbrella of child development. Uh, yes. Again, uh, Director uh, Stephanie Parsons and uh, Child Development District Director Carrie Redman with us this morning talking about things going on the YMCA. Thank you, ladies, for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Thank Chris. you. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. With us in the studio this morning is Kelly McClurkin with the United Way of Hancock County. And folks may have heard the the sort of the slogan or the tagline, the give, advocate, volunteer, talking specifically about volunteer, uh, the volunteer part of that this morning, because you've got a couple of things coming up here real soon to talk about. We do. First thing that's a little farther out is our Fall Days of Caring event. But sign up is happening right now. Sign up happens Thursday the 13th, and that's both for volunteers and for agencies, nonprofit agencies, or social service based organizations to sign up for the tasks that they need done, or like I said, are volunteers as well. What is involved in that? So, really, Days of Caring is um, a service event where volunteers lend a hand to help local nonprofit agencies and, like I mentioned, other social service-based nonprofits or organizations with any tasks that they need done. Um, Anything from painting to landscaping to even planning an event, construction, really whatever is needed. Mm -hmm. It is geared more towards businesses and organizations to allow right. their workforce to come out since it's happening it happens during the week right but of course we don't turn anyone away it's available to anyone so how do folks sign up uh to volunteer how do uh entities uh submit projects they need done all through our website okay. through uwhancock.org and then there is a volunteer 
um, you know, tab to click okay. down on, and then you can find the signups through our website. So there. really easy to do. Very easy. And tomorrow is the uh, sign-up. Yes. Uh, so it all needs to be done in that one day, or do you just uh, No, open sign-ups happen, I think, through August, I believe. Okay. Yes, registration okay. closes so August opens. 18th. So it opens this week. Yes, so it opens week. this yeah. week, closes mid-August, and then the actual event happens um in the fall, in September. In the fall, yes. uh, hence the name Fall Days of Caring. So yes. we'll talk more about that when we get a little bit uh, closer. But again, uh, sign up for both sides uh, of that equation happening this week. And then, as you mentioned, that's more uh, geared toward, uh, obviously, the nonprofits, the social service agencies, businesses that uh, can connect with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for families, you also have a, an opportunity, volunteer opportunity coming up. And again, talking about thinking ahead, we're not thinking about back to school quite yet, but we have to start thinking about that. Right. Um, And August 7th, we have a great volunteer opportunity for families. We get a lot of requests with families with younger kids that would like to, you know, start teaching them about giving their time and helping the community. Sure. So this is a follow-up event to the Stuff the Bus, which happens in July. Mm -hmm. This event is August 7th, also in tandem with Stonebridge Church, and that's where it's held. Um, And it's for families with children or whomever to sort through those school supplies, stuff backpacks, and get them ready to distribute to the kids. For anyone who has participated in Stuff the Bus, which we've done with uh, Christian Clearinghouse for the past number of years uh, coming up at the end of the month, there are a lot of school supplies that we collect in just a, a few days' time that have to be sorted through to get those into the hands of the kids uh, in time for back to school. That's right. That's right. There's so many kids in need. A lot of backpacks need to be stuffed. Uh, And any age child is welcome as long as they're with an adult. And again, sign up on the website for that? Same thing. Yes, on our website. Um, I believe there's a volunteer connections button, volunteer, and it's, it's very easy to find. I think you can even search it in our toolbar. Again, one of the ways that United Way is uh, touching people's lives within the community beyond, again, the obvious. We always talk about the uh, fundraising campaign and and so on, sure. and, and you know the ways that you support uh, the partner agencies, but. The United Way is so much more than just that. Right. So we understand, of course, giving happens all year round. We, you know, you can certainly do that on our website as well. There's donate buttons, um, pledge buttons to click on. But we understand that that's not possible for everyone. So we love to, um, to have advocates as well. And a lot of volunteering opportunities help you to become an advocate. Again, uh, Kelly McClurkin with the United Way of Hancock County with us uh, this morning. Kelly, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Did you happen to see this story about a passenger on a United Airlines flight? This actually made the the regular news uh, the other day, but it's just so crazy that I had to bring it up in the uh, broken news this morning. Passenger on a United Airlines flight from Houston to Amsterdam, an international flight, nine and a half hour flight, it was supposed to be. Uh, allegedly created such a scene that the plane had to reroute and land in Chicago just two hours into his journey so this guy could be escorted off the plane. The passenger was reportedly disruptive and uh, appeared to be intoxicated as well, but the inflection point uh, of his rage was he created such a disturbance they had to land the plane and get him off the flight. 
uh, was because his first choice meal was not available. That's <laughs> the meal that he wanted uh, for the flight was it was an international flight. So they still serve meals on, on this. And his first choice was not available. <laughs> he created such a scene that he had to be escorted off the plane in Chicago before the flight was allowed to continue. Now, to be fair, now it seems that that would be a really ridiculous thing to get that upset about. But to be fair, uh, the guy had paid for an upgrade to business class at a cost of about $7,000. $7,000 for his business class ticket. So you would think if you're spending seven k that they should have your first choice meal. I mean, to be fair, I can understand why he was upset. <laughs> Spent $7,000 for this flight, and you don't have the meal that I want, of all things. <clears throat> but anyway. Elsewhere in the broken news, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except when it makes the broken news. A man visiting from New York was arrested in Sin City on Sunday night for, for uh, it says here, an alleged involvement in an attack of someone with one leg. Um, but that wasn't the worst of it. This was, apparently, this guy from New York at Harrah's Casino on the Strip in Vegas decided to climb on top of a poker table, strip naked, and start gyrating... Police reports say that Brian uh, Danilchek then uh, climbed atop a poker table, got naked, and flaunted his genitals. <laughs> I love the verbiage of that in the report. Flaunting his genitals. Later then, changing positions to expose his hindquarters to those who passed by. <laughs> So it was an unexpected show on the casino floor there at Harris. Uh, security took the man to a holding area and gave him a blanket to cover himself. <laughs> Mr. Danilchek now faces charges of disorderly conduct, indecent exposure, and battery. So, <laughs> climbed on top of a poker table, stripped naked, and hilarity ensued. <clears throat> I read that story and said, why doesn't that ever happen to me when I'm in Vegas? I never see things uh, that crazy. You know what I mean? I mean, that's... <laughs> you would have a story to tell when you got up. You'll never believe what happened when I was in Vegas. This guy. Yeah. Uh, let's see. From the international file, the broken news, the Toronto Zoo is issuing an urgent plea to visitors to, tr to stop showing the primates their cell phones. They are trying to limit gorilla cell phone usage. <laughs> uh, Holly Ross of the Toronto Zoo, spokesperson for the Toronto Zoo, says that some of the content can be upsetting for the gorillas and could even affect their relationships and behavior within their family. The facility now wants gorillas to be able to be gorillas. <laughs> uh, one gorilla in particular... Uh, Nasser, the gorilla, seems to love the, uh, his screen time a little too much. He goes to the window and begs uh, people to show him their cell phones. He's become addicted 
Born in 2009, the animal is fascinated by videos and screen time would dominate his life if he had his way. Uh, Nasir is allowed to watch nature documentaries in certain situations, but very much like managing an account for a child, you want to make sure that your parental control options are on. So please, if you're visiting the gorillas, the Toronto Zoo, uh, keep the uh, cell phone in the pocket. Do not <laughs> shove your cell phone to the gorillas. You're becoming screen addicted. That's crazy. Speaking of animal stories, and also from the international file, English police responded the other day to reports of a woman screaming. When they got to the home of um, one Steve Wood, he seemed very confused when officers knocked on his door in Essex and wanted to know what in the world was going on. Um... Apparently, the whole thing was just a big misunderstanding. Mr. Wood, you understand, has 22 pet parrots in his home, and all seem to be very vocal in the morning. (laughs) The culprit who triggered the concerned call appears to be three-year-old Freddy. Is particularly vocal. Um, Police uh, figure that a family might have been around walking by or something, heard the commotion. Freddie was screeching up a storm and mistook it for a woman screaming. The uh, uh, police officers kind of laughed it off. Uh, But they did attend uh, to the call properly and investigate what was going on. Thank goodness it was just the parrots. 22 parrots! That is crazy. 22 of anything is just... I love parrots. I think they're uh, just spectacular birds. But 22 of anything is a bit much. And finally, in the broken news this morning, our dumb criminal of the day, and this is just a jaw-dropping story, police in Montgomery, Alabama, had their hands full with a, char- uh, with a carjacking and high-speed pursuit uh, the other day. According to the report, officers rushed to the scene after receiving a robbery call. Little did they know that they were about to embark in a wild goose chase with a bandit who had a flair for the dramatic. Armed with a gun, um, this uh, individual stole a vehicle. Undeterred by the flashing lights and stern commands, the speed demon takes off in the carjacked vehicle with his gun, refused to yield to authorities. Uh, This was like a chase right out of a Fast and Furious movie. Uh, It ended in less than glamorous fashion with a collision between the carjacker and the car of an innocent bystander. Fortunately, no one was hurt. The mastermind behind this entire scene turned out to be an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old who was uh, arrested under charges of first-degree robbery, attempting to elude, and uh, an offense of being in possession of a firearm when... Uh, forbidden, he's underage, so uh, being in a possession of a firearm was uh, illegal. The child was promptly escorted to the Montgomery County Youth Detention Facility, where he will have plenty of time to contemplate his uh, early career choices. What do you, what do you want to do be when you grow up? I want to be a carjacker, and that's eight years old. How crazy is that? There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. 
We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Findlay Rotarian is all about? I'm Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. Being a Rotarian offers meaningful connections with community leaders and to what's going on in organizations across Hancock County. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, all part of a worldwide service club, contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on Join. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And uh, our lives today, uh, so much of it centers around our cell phones, our mobile devices. We get so much uh, on our phones. We can, you know, we can check the weather. We can, you know, get our favorite uh, uh, music and talk shows and the WFIN apps, <laughs> our phones. Um, and of course, we you know, keep up on uh, social media, news and Control our smartphone or smart homes, uh, smart devices in our homes with our phones and so on. So, like anything that gets such widespread use on a daily basis, sometimes our devices little be a little worse for wear. A new survey of two thousand U.S. adults finds that sixty nine point nine percent of respondents, seventy percent, uh, seven in ten of us, are using a phone that has issues, that is partially broken in some way. Maybe it has a cracked screen. Maybe we have battery issues (laughs) to the point where we always have to keep it plugged in. Um, Maybe it overheats from time to time. That can be rather dangerous, actually. Uh, 70% of us are using a phone that has an issue like that. Um, And it's, uh, it's because we can't do without I mean, maybe we just can't afford to buy a new phone, uh, or maybe we're just too cheap, but we are not ready to do without. Only 27% of baby boomers would be willing to spend the entire summer without their phone. Even baby boomers, uh, all but 27% rely on this. 49% of all respondents always are using their phone, describing their phone use is as constant. They're always using their phone. 47% say that summer would not be perfect unless pictures capture the moment. So we're using them to catch uh, those, uh, those memories. And uh, all of this being said, I thought this was kind of interesting from the survey. The average person experiences a near catastrophe with their phone, a near catastrophic phone slip up 140 times a year. So what does that figure out to be once every couple, three days? Um, something like uh, dropping their phone or something that could crack it or damage it in some way. 140 times a year. This happens to uh, to most of us. Well, from the health and medical file this morning, exciting new data from a stage three clinical trial recently presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology's annual meeting, which shows a new treatment that can substantially reduce, substantially reduce the risk of recurrence for those who are diagnosed and treated for certain types of early stage breast cancer. Dr. Nikita Shaw is medical oncology team leader for the Breast Cancer Center at the Orlando Health Cancer Institute. And Dr. Shaw, first of all, to kind of put this into context, this is always the greatest concern, is it not? When you when you catch these cases of early stage breast cancer, they are very treatable. It is the likelihood of recurrence 
that is the biggest unknown. Correct. So the earlier the stage of the cancer, the less is the risk of recurrence, but that risk of recurrence still remains and persists over uh, years after a breast cancer diagnosis. And what does that risk of recurrence mean for patients? You know, that, that's the fear that everybody lives with, is, is this cancer going to come back? What it means is that once it comes back, we have very good treatments that can help prolong life, but we currently don't have any treatments that are curative. So once the cancer comes back, we're always kind of one step behind the cancer. And that's why we want to do everything up front and, uh, to reduce this risk of the cancer ever coming back. And I, I'm, I'm told, and, and you can tell me whether I'm, this is uh, correct or not, or whether this is more of a myth, that when uh, cases of breast cancer recur, they generally become more aggressive. Not necessarily, okay. but by, just by the sheer fact that they have recurred means it is more aggressive because now it is in a distant organ yeah. um, and now called stage four breast cancer. Yeah, uh, good, good point. So uh, with all of that said, what are some of the current gaps that early breast cancer patients face when addressing the risk of recurrence? As you mentioned, uh, there's nothing curative at this point. What are the options? What are the, the gaps that exist? So, so there are no curative options once there is a recurrence. But early stage breast cancer is curative with the treatments we have. And uh, we are looking to see what we can do to further reduce that risk of recurrence, especially in our higher risk population. Okay, so that leads us to this trial. It is the Natalie uh, trial. And again, data presented at the uh, latest uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology annual meeting Tell us more about these results, this trial, and why the results are so significant. Sure. So Natalie, Natalie Clinical Trial was a phase three randomized uh, trial for early stage hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative breast cancer patients. Uh, patients had their uh, definitive treatment, which included surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and then along with standard endocrine therapy, half the patients were randomized to the addition of a CDK4-6 inhibitor called ribocyclib. Ribocyclib is currently approved uh, and very effective in the treatment of metastatic disease. So this trial is looking to say, what can we do to reduce the risk of recurrence in early stage breast cancer? And what the results were, were very exciting, was a 25% reduction in the risk of recurrence with the addition of ribocyclib. Uh, what we also saw was a very uh, favorable safety profile. Uh, ribocyclib has, like I mentioned, extensively been used in the metastatic disease setting, and we did not see any new safety signals. Uh, the most commonly seen side effects were neutropenia and liver dysfunction. And, of course, these results are still investigational, but very, very exciting because this now fills that gap in reducing the risk of recurrence. Yeah, a, a fairly significant reduction. And just again, to underscore what you were saying, this is a new indication for an existing treatment, an existing medication. Correct. And as I understand it, the results of this trial are going to be submitted to the FDA sometime yet this year for regulatory review. Does the fact that this is a drug that is already on the market mean that a potential approval process should be much quicker? Uh, hopefully, you know, approval will always be based on data. 
So the drug is commercially available, but currently only approved for use in the metastatic disease setting. But this is exciting information nonetheless. Again, uh, Dr. Nikita Shaw is medical oncology team leader for the Breast Cancer Center at the Orlando Health Cancer Institute. Certainly something that those uh, who have been touched by early stage breast cancer will definitely want to uh, follow. And where can folks get more information uh, about this trial? NatalieTrial.com, N-A-T-A-L-E-E, trial.com. Um, has a lot of good information about the trial and you can also keep up with uh, additional data. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Head to the World Wide Web at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, proponents call it a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in Findlay's outdoor infrastructure. And despite some misgivings, city leaders have given the green light to the plan for a downtown recreation area. Mayor Christina Mern will join us to extol its virtues. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.